Exacto. Ladies and gentlemen, we are tonight. We are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling. And this is Jason is here. Dude, I, I swear to God, I'm not as big an asshole as it sounds like. And Troy is here. Hey, I call them like I see them, all right? Look at it this way. It's the first thing we've done together as a team. I grab my dick, you grab your dick, you work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks, anyway. I'm touching my own dick. You're working it, and I'm loving it. Well, enough is enough, and it's time for... The Rundown. It is the main event of the wrestling week. It is the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. My name is Jason, and despite what you heard in that intro song, my co-host Troy not able to be here tonight. He's feeling a little bit under the weather, so we certainly want to send a big get well to Troy, and he should be back next week, hopefully, because I unfortunately will not be here next week. So Troy will either be flying solo or hopefully will have a little help. Uh, special shout-out to Sal, who made an attempt to try to work it out so that he could come in here and help me out, uh, but we just couldn't align the schedules. And to everyone else who just ignored my request for help, well, you know, I... Yeah, you know what I'm saying there, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, without any further ado, we're not going to miss a beat this week. We are going to go straight to the first segment of the show, the one where we discuss what's going on. We like to call it The Perfect Ten. The Perfect Ten. A ten. A ten. A fucking ten. And leading off the perfect 10 this week with some late breaking news, we are going to take a second here on the rundown and pour one out for James Ellsworth. That's right, the no-chinned one lost his job this week. He was released by the WWE. Um, and I got to tell you, I'm a little bummed because the reality is I sort of really got into the James Ellsworth character. I thought I towards the end of his run with Ambrose and Styles, I definitely think he had run his course, but his little his little relationship with Carmella I thought really added a lot to her character and really helped develop her and I thought gave her a great out on her cash in of that money in the bank briefcase when it when it happened now we'll see how they do it now that they don't have him to use for that scenario uh, we'll talk a little bit I'm going to delve a little bit into that later um, but I did find it interesting that they let him go and I gotta say you gotta tip your hat to this guy because Nobody really did more with less, perhaps, than James Ellsworth. Guy knew his role, knew exactly what he was there to do, and did it beautifully for what he had to work with. I think he did an amazing job now. And, and truth be told, he's going to probably make a lot more money on the indies now as a result of having had a chance to work in WWE. Uh, so he's he's doing well, and he had a chance to live his dream, and that's great. And uh, But I personally will miss him on WWE programs. So James Ellsworth, thank you for everything you gave us, and we'll see you down the road. Now, on to our topics from what occurred in the ring this week. We're going to start off with something that happened on Raw um, that I still don't get, and I'm going to complain about it because I complain about this type of thing all the time. Monday night saw the in-ring reuniting of The Shield. The, the original three members, of course, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, Roman back from his, his issues with the mumps, I believe it was. 
Um, returned on Raw, and they had a three-way, three, six-man tag with uh, the team of The Bar and The Miz. And I have to ask myself as I'm watching this, why am I watching this? You have Survivor Series coming up on Sunday night. You have a marquee match between two of the greatest three-man groups, perhaps in the history of the WWE. It's hard to argue. The New Day and The Shield. Now, I understand that The Shield was supposed to have reunited by now at the last pay-per-view, but you clearly missed that mark due to the, due to the illness. So now you have an opportunity to add this other thing to Survivor Series to make it even more special to hold off The Shield match until Survivor Series with The New Day, and instead you just give it give it to us on raw for no real reason it served no purpose um you you buried the tag team champions who are going into the pay-per-view i don't say buried i guess that's a wrong choice of words but you had them lose a match going into the pay-per-view where they're supposed to be fighting the tag team champions from smackdown and the visual now of the shield in ring together for the first time is gone it's just you wasted it on raw and it takes away from the specialness of Survivor Series. Now, I still think the match at Survivor Series is going to be great. I'm still looking forward to it, but I definitely feel like they're missing the boat by giving it away this early on Raw when they didn't have to. And this is just a recurring theme with the WWE. We talk all the time, and I know Troy gets on my case when I say things about them giving stuff away on free TV. And and I understand they have a cable deal and they get money for it and et cetera, et cetera, and that's fine. But Nothing is left to feel special for the pay-per-views anymore. If we have a big match on pay-per-view, we've probably seen it two or three times on TV before we get there. You look at this match on Monday night. You had a chance to have something really special in the first match back for the Shield, and instead, we don't get that. We don't get to have that that really cool moment on Survivor Series. Same way we didn't get to have that really cool moment of Bailey's first title win at WrestleMania. We had to give that away at Fastlane. It's almost like they just don't care about making moments anymore, which is something that Vince used to really focus on. I don't know where that disconnect is. Hopefully they'll figure it out, but I'm still looking very much forward to The Shield and The New Day, and we'll talk about it when we get to predictions. But I I just chalked this one up to me as a missed opportunity. And one thing that they did do on SmackDown this week was that Shane McMahon held a pep rally. That's right. We went all the way back to homecoming weekend of high school as Shane McMahon kicked off SmackDown Live this week, addressing the entire crowd, uh, the entire talent roster of SmackDown. They're all sitting there and they're all really jazzed up because hashtag brand loyalty, which is never a thing except at Survivor Series time, then it really matters. Then everyone breaks out the blue and red shirts and we have pep rallies. And uh, to me, perhaps the biggest part of this that I had a problem with and there was there was one great part and I'll get to it in a minute but my biggest problem with this is a guy like Baron Corbin being all rah-rah about what he's going to do to represent Smackdown at Survivor Series that is a complete mischaracterization of what the Baron Corbin character should be this guy is and I remind you one more time the lone fucking wolf now perhaps Nobody on the SmackDown creative team understands what the phrase lone wolf means, but I do. And that's why it makes it seem really disjointed to me when he's participating in group beatdowns and pep rallies. Um, The rest of it was fairly hokey, but I will say I really enjoyed Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn standing off to the back 
as if they couldn't give a shit less. That was the only person or persons in this situation who came across credible and true to what their character is doing on the show, and I thought that was great. Other than that, I could have done without this. I don't think it added anything to it. And I think ultimately when we got to the end of the show, and we'll touch on what happened at the end later on, I thought it made everyone sort of look stupid that they went this route and then ended up there. But speaking of looking stupid, we go back to Monday Night Raw, where Bailey secured the final spot on Team Raw. Yes, Bailey was the last kid picked for the dodgeball game. Not surprisingly, we talked last week about some theories about who could get that spot, who might get that spot, what they might do to get there. Um, we, talk, we talked about Mickey James, Bailey heel turn. We talked about all sorts of things, and we had a lot of great, beautiful, creative ideas. And so because we had great, beautiful, creative ideas, of course, WWE did the most boring, predictable, unimaginative thing they could, just held the triple threat and had Bailey win. So now Bailey is on the team. Um, again, we're going to talk a little bit about Bailey when I get to my final topic in the Perfect Ten. Um, but this is just, again, another waste. If you wanted Bailey on the team, you could have just had her last week. What, what did she prove to you, Alicia Fox? Cause yes, Alicia Fox is in fact still the captain of this team. What did Bailey prove to you by beating Mickey James and Dana fucking Brooke that she didn't prove by being part of the team that beat your ass and Nia Jax last week in the tag team match with Sasha? It made no sense. We sowed some seeds of doubt between Sasha and Bailey last week. No, nope, Sasha was the first one up to hug and congratulate Bailey when she made the team. Every time I think we're starting to tell some really compelling stories with this roster, it's just like they go, nah, fuck that, let's just do this instead. Uh, a lot of the booking leading up to Survivor Series has sort of been like that too, where it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, well, we're going to do that, but yeah, let's do this. And the AJ Styles title win, as much as I was a fan of putting the belt back on AJ, it was sort of the same thing. Um, it was it was Jinder that challenged Brock. It wasn't Brock that challenged Jinder. So this match, this fight was not Brock's fight. It was Jinder's. And then you took him out of the match. And now AJ's got the match. And it just doesn't make any sense. But um, it did lead to the, of course, the great moment on Raw with uh, Paul Heyman being interrupted by a wedding proposal as he cut a promo, but, uh, you know, you might not want to try to upstage one Mr. Paul Heyman when he has a microphone in his hand. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, Daniel Bryan, on another note on SmackDown, seems to be having sort of a, an interesting program built, and Daniel Bryan's had more programs than half the active roster, and we know Daniel Bryan isn't wrestling anytime soon. At least we think so. We'll touch a little bit on that in the news segment later on, but it sort of seemed to me watching SmackDown like he was building a little dissension with Shane. He seemed to be very disapproving of the fact that Shane started the Under Siege movement without consulting him. Um, and I, part of me wonders if the end game of this whole thing is going to be that it was actually Shane that sicked Kane on Daniel Bryan rather than blaming Kurt Angle and the Raw roster as Shane seems to have done. Whether this was a plan to get Daniel Bryan out of the way so that he could execute whatever he wanted to do in terms of the Under Siege or the Raw versus SmackDown, I don't know. But we've now seen Daniel Bryan sort of be inserted in, in situations with The Miz, obviously, uh, that never really led to anything. They've sort of gone a little bit back and forth with him and Kurt Angle. 
and now we're sort of sowing seeds for this Shane McMahon thing. So one has to wonder if you have this much smoke, if eventually we're going to see fire in the form of the American Dragon back in the ring. I personally hope so, and we'll talk about that in the news segment later on. But we had uh, another interesting occurrence this week on Raw. As the monster among men, Braun Strowman, took on Kane in a match that really fell flat. And if you listen to the crowd and the live audience, they didn't care either. Um, this, to me, was fine, I guess. I, I just... I, Here's my problem with this. I sort of didn't understand. We built, we, we had these two interact in a pay-per-view. We seemed to be building a program. As part of that program, we're building Kane up by putting the 50-year-old Kane over talented young guys who are supposed to be the future of the company like Finn Balor. I understand he's not that young, but he's younger than Kane, and he's in his prime, and Kane is not. Um, and if that was building towards a giant program between Braun and Kane, I could have got it. Instead, it led to a just a nothing match on Raw that ended with just another stunt. And I sort of feel like if you want to develop Braun and push him to the next level, you got to get past just doing stunts with him. We get that he's a big guy. We get that he's strong. We don't need the ring to explode. We don't need the cage to fall apart. We don't need power slamming people through the ring. There, there are visuals that are okay once or twice, but it's every time this guy has a major match on Raw, he has one of these things. And it's it's really sort of taking all the impact out of it when it happens going forward. Um, I'm not a big fan. I thought this match was really sort of a waste, and I don't really have any use for seeing Kane in the ring these days. I'm, I'm very respectful of everything he's accomplished through his tremendous career in the WWE, and I wish him the best in his mayoral campaign. I'll be perfectly fine if that power slam to hell that uh, Braun Strowman gave Kane on Monday night was the swan song for the character of Kane and hopefully the goodbye to the WWE for one Mr. Glenn Jacobs as he goes on to his political career, we can only hope. Um, we also had an interesting thing occur on SmackDown as Sammy and Kevin continued their storyline where they couldn't give a shit less about SmackDown. Unfortunately, the problem is they care less about SmackDown than the creative team does. Or maybe they care more about SmackDown than the creative team does, depending on how you look at it. But Sammy and Kevin, who were supposed to be the, they were the, the central storyline coming out of our last SmackDown pay-per-view, and now they're not on the Survivor Series card, though I have my theories about that. They're being they're they're getting kicked off tours. They're sort of being relegated to background players in this Shane Shane McMahon thing. Now they had a good match with the New Day. I enjoyed it on on SmackDown, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing if that sort of continues once Survivor Series is over. And I understand that Survivor Series sort of throws a monkey wrench into all of the current storylines that they have going on in the WWE because of the SmackDown versus Raw dynamic that they put in place, but. Wasting an entire month and basically two, once you talk about the the time after the pay per view to the to the time between the, before the next pay per view, wasting that much time with these two guys and the storyline they're telling just doesn't do it for me. I, I think it's a tremendous mistake, and I think building Shane up almost to be a heel in this whole Raw versus SmackDown thing, and sort of bullying around Kurt Angle initially, while the storyline you're telling with Sammy and Kevin is that they're bullying Shane. 
it, it just it was very disjointed and and it really the way they booked it caused Sammy and Kevin to really sort of seem useless on the show and I hope that's not the case and I hope they fix that going forward they did a nice moment at the end when when the raw crew came to invade where Sammy and Kevin just bailed out of the ring because again true to their characters they don't give a shit about Smackdown I'm enjoying that aspect they're playing that part well I just don't think that part is is well for the long-term viability of this angle we'll find out I hope I'm wrong on that but I don't know I'm not I'm not really feeling what they're doing with them right now of course, that leads to my next topic, another event that occurred on SmackDown this week that shook up the entire format of Survivor Series as, once again, we had another title change as we lead up to the pay-per-view where champions take on champions because Charlotte pulled the upset and beat Lady McFart, Natalia in a one-on-one contest and captured the women's championship and then once again as if that moment was not enough we gave away another moment in having rick flair make his first return to tv rather than being on a pay-per-view rather than being at starcade rather than being at the next smackdown pay-per-view we did it on smackdown live uh it was a cool moment i'm not gonna lie i definitely got a little bit choked up seeing charlotte's reaction i really legitimately believe that maybe she didn't know rick was in the building it was really cool um the match between the two was fine. I had no issues. They have good chemistry in the ring. I'm not the biggest Natalia fan. That's not a secret to anybody that's listened to this show. Um, but I enjoyed this match. I thought it was good. I'm really glad that they gave us this finish because this match, this just increased my interest in the women's matches at Survivor Series about tenfold. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. I have my own theory. And again, we'll talk about that when we get to the predictions for Survivor Series that are coming up a little bit later. But ultimately, this match to me was exactly what it should have been. They had a good good work rate. I'm curious to see where they go with Natalia here. Um, but we got ultimately, despite having very little time to tell any story between the two people who are going to face off at the pay-per-view, I think ultimately we got to the match we should have been at all along and maybe just took a little bit too long to get there. But I'm not going to quibble as they got us to where we should be. One guy who didn't get to where he should be is Jason Jordan this week on Monday Night Raw because... He suffers, I'm sorry, he takes a win over Bray Wyatt, undeniably his biggest singles win by defeating a former WWE heavyweight champion, but then he lost to the authority. And when I say he lost to the authority, I'm not necessarily talking about losing his spot at Survivor Series, though he did do that. I'm talking more about the fact that he lost any real credibility, any real heat that he had, not that he had a ton of it going into it, but when he just was made to look like a bitch and took a pedigree to Triple H. Now, this has been a polarizing story. I've heard, I've seen a lot of people, and even in our host thread, I've heard people say they don't understand why they did this. And I actually enjoy the story that they're telling here. And if you're not, this is how I sort of approach wrestling, and sometimes people have an issue with it because my mind doesn't work necessarily in focusing on what I'm watching. My mind immediately jumps to where could this be going? Where is this story going? That's sort of my enjoyment. I like to see if I can write a craft a story and see how it's going to play out ahead of time. Um, to me, what they're doing here, and I again, I could be wrong on this, but this is the way I'm seeing this story play out, is one of two ways. Either Jason Jordan is going to cost Team Raw the match at the pay-per-view and sort of turn heel on his dad. Because his dad, keep in mind, if you watch Raw, his dad 
Kurt Angle, uh, stood by and basically watched Triple H kick him off the team and then pedigree him. He was almost like if you could get cucked by in a situation with your son, that's sort of what happened. He just sat there and watched somebody have their way with his kid. Uh, which is not really, it wasn't quite as disturbing as my description was, and I apologize for that. That was probably not the best choice of words, but I'm in a free flow because I'm by myself, so what can I tell you? It happens. Anyway, um, he went through this whole segment, and Jason Jordan, that is, and came across as sort of like the whiny little bratty kid. And some people might have an issue with that, but if he is doing the heel turn that I think most of us think is ultimately coming out of this, that was a good way to start that character because now Jason Jordan has a legitimate reason to have heat with his dad. He has a legitimate reason for a heel turn. His dad didn't defend him. He got it kicked off the team. His dad did nothing. Like there's a ton there. Now, there are rumors, of course, that this is leading to a Triple H versus Kurt Angle match at WrestleMania. And if that is, in fact, the case, then I wouldn't expect to see Jason Jordan at SummerSlam as I would expect that that heel turn for Jason Jordan where he turns on Kurt would probably happen sometime at WrestleMania where it has way more impact. Uh, I don't know how you bridge that gap with Jason Jordan if you're not doing that heel turn till Mania, but we'll see how it plays out over the next few weeks and months. Now... The main event of the Perfect Ten, and to, for my money, I guess the biggest moment of the week, as I like to call it, Under Siege 2 in Blue Territory. All of you Seagal fans will get that joke. Now, what we had on SmackDown this week was the most utterly predictable, um, unimaginative response, a way to end the go-home show of SmackDown this week, as after weeks and weeks of not responding to the Under Siege attack of the SmackDown group, Raw finally responded, and they waited until the last possible second of television to do so. Um, Again, another storytelling device that I sort of understand. You want to end the go-home show hot, and I think they did that. I did have a couple of things uh, in regards to this. I I, I really don't like, and they did it last year, when they take something like the Bailey character and have her participate in gang beatdowns. Uh, it just doesn't fit her character. It doesn't fit the Bailey persona. And I think all too often they have her doing things that don't fit the Bailey persona. And when they do that, it sort of makes that character weaker. And that's something that's happened, like I said, a little bit too often. And I think it's really damaged Bailey long term. So I did not like that. One thing I did like, and it's a subtle thing, and I'm not sure how many people caught it, but at a certain point, the Usos ran in to help with the SmackDown group. And Roman Reigns just threw his hands up, like, y'all a family, I ain't getting involved with you. And I thought that was kind of a cool little nod to the, the relationship that we all know about them and something that they don't often do in those scenarios. So I did I did appreciate that. Um, I did not like the shield coming out in the half-raw, half-shield shirts. I thought that looked hokey and, and sort of crappy. Um all in all, I, I you know, I understand the need to have sort of a separation visually when you have that many people there. When you have so you have everyone throw on their their blue and red shirts so everyone knows who's fighting for whom, um, but I just it doesn't I, it seems really hokey to me when they do it and like I said if it was something where brand loyalty was pushed all year round it wouldn't bother me nearly as much, but nobody seems to give a shit about whether they're on Raw or SmackDown until Survivor Series rolls around and I just don't understand that it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, like 
the NBA All-Star Game, the East plays the West. And, and there's not a ton of heat behind it. It's not like everybody goes, I want to win for the East. But at the same time, they're not leading up to it telling you, well, fuck those guys from the West. Like, that's the problem here. If this was just a one-off for brand, uh, hey, you know, we're going to win for our brand. That'd be nice. That'd be cool. All right, fine. But it shouldn't turn everyone into pit bulls and, and have them attacking and sneak attacking and all this shit that they're doing. It just makes it seem really disjointed and weird. Not a fan of that approach. Hope they fix it going forward if they're going to continue doing this. And, and I would suggest something very simple. Add some stakes to these matches. How about for every match that your brand wins, your brand gets a draft pick from the other brand? Something like that. Attach some stakes to these matches. I think you're going to have a lot more interest, a lot more support. I think it'll make it a lot more visually interesting to the viewer. Um, otherwise... You know, I'm looking forward to the pay-per-view. We'll go through the predictions later. I just didn't like the way they ended SmackDown. I think there was just too much hokiness to it. I thought there was a little, like I said, there was a little bit of storyline problems to it. There were some nice little touches, but the gang activity between Raw and SmackDown just really does nothing for me, and it hasn't throughout this entire build. So we'll see how it plays out once the pay-per-view comes about now. Now that we've covered what happened in the Perfect 10, it's time for the next segment of our rundown show. It's where I go through all the news that matters to a wrestling fan. All right, leading off the news desk this week, the very public relationship between Paige and Alberto El Patron, a.k.a. Alberto Del Rio, appears to be over. Paige's friend Jenna posted a video on Thursday night on Snapchat in which the WWE superstar said, quote, this is why I'm single, end quote, while joking about another couple making out. According to Ryan Satin of Pro Wrestling Sheet, sources told him the couple has recently, in fact, broken up. And I think we've talked about it a lot on this show. I think this is really the best scenario for Paige. Now, I don't know Alberto, and I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you what is or isn't a good relationship because I don't know. I'm not there. Everything from the outward appearance showed that this was just a very toxic situation. I don't know whose fault it is. I'm not placing blame. But at the end of the day, sometimes people just aren't good for each other. And that certainly seemed to be the case for these two. And Paige is an incredibly talented young girl. She clearly has some issues which have come to light uh, in the last couple months. But she has all the talent in the world to, to turn everything around and get back on track and get her life and her career back to where they're going. Uh, and where they should be, and it seems like this might be the first step, and I hope that's the case, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Paige make her return and hopefully sort of pick up where she left off in terms of building to what could be a very, very memorable career for the young lady. In other Paige-related news, WWE officials debated on whether to put Paige on the Women's Raw Survivor Series team. According to both F4WOnline.com's Dave Meltzer and PWInsider.com's Mike Johnson, Meltzer said on his post-Raw edition of Wrestling Observer Radio that at one point WWE planned on having Paige make her return on Raw and win the match to secure the last spot on the Raw Women's Survivor Series team. The company, however, changed the outcome to Bailey winning despite having had Paige travel to Atlanta, Georgia for the show. Meltzer also noted that Bailey was the WWE's original choice for the final member on the women's team. They apparently came up with the idea for Paige to possibly return late last week. 
It is not known why WWE decided against Paige returning on Raw, but one WWE talent pointed out to Johnson that Paige posting a photo of herself with Alicia Fox on Sunday night was probably the worst idea she could have had if she was trying to stay under the radar and just get back to work. And that's an interesting thing because it seems in this age in social media, we see this all the time. People don't think they just post it, whether it's a snap, a tweet. And we saw, talked about this a couple weeks back with Leo Rush, same deal. Didn't think, tried to be funny, tried to pop the crowd on social media and got himself in trouble. And that might be what happened here to Paige too. So to all the boys and girls, uh, just think before you post on social media. Don't, don't, run per, don't get into personal arguments on social media when you know you have fans there. It's, just, it's not a good look. It doesn't help anybody and it can really hurt your career. So I hope that things like this start to become less and less frequent. Uh, another similar event occurred, and this isn't in the news article, but um, in terms of the Ric Flair uh, surprise appearance that we talked about earlier, Enzo Amore at 6 o'clock on Tuesday posted a picture of himself with, with Ric Flair backstage at Raw. At, at, sorry, at SmackDown. So I don't know if, I, like I said, I don't know if the moment was legit with Charlotte not knowing he was there, but apparently Rick was hanging out backstage and other people saw him or other people were told he was there and Charlotte was intentionally kept in the dark. I don't know. But Enzo, once again, sort of blew the spot. And again, 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 Enzo is another guy who doesn't need to give himself any more problems with social media stuff. Just think, know your situation before you press the send button or the post button or snap whatever you're snapping. I'm not a big Snapchat guy, but you know what I'm talking about. Whatever you're going to do, stop and think if this is the best move for your career before you do it. That's all I'm saying. That's the end of that. Now, we talked about Alberto El Patron in that page story, but as seen at Bound for Glory, Alberto El Patron returned to Impact Wrestling and interfered during the Johnny Impact versus Eli Drake main event, assaulting both competitors but helping Drake to retain the Tyler. title. PW Insider reports that there are some backstage that are unhappy over Alberto having his own private locker room which is a trailer while the majority of the rest of the male talent share one locker room. Apparently, the private locker room is part of Alberto's current contract with the company and is not intended to be a slight on anybody. You know, look, I, I have my issues with Alberto. This to me, he got himself as good a deal as he could get. And uh, if you're upset as one of the guys in the back, you know what? Get yourself a better deal. Get yourself more over so that they have to give you those concessions too. I'm not going to blame Alberto for that one. He got himself a nice deal, cushy package, and he got himself his own private locker room. That's not unheard of for a star by any chance. And if the company signed that deal with him, that's not his fault. So back off Alberto on that one. There are plenty of other things to rake Alberto over the coals for. That to me is not one of them. A number of talents have parted ways with Impact Wrestling recently, including Jeff Jarrett, Taryn Terrell, Robbie E., Rockstar, Spud, Bram, Eddie Kingston, and Reno Scum. Now add yet another talent to that list as James Storm has apparently parted ways with the company. At last week's Impact Wrestling tapings, and this is going to be a spoiler, uh, Storm lost a match to Dan Lambert of American Top Team with the stipulation that Storm would have to leave the company if he lost. Following the loss, Storm gave a farewell speech in which he thanked the fans for their support. He also thanked Dixie Carter, Jeff Jarrett, and Bob Ryder. According to Pro Wrestling Sheet, his exit is legitimate, and this was the last set of tapings before his contract expires in January, and he recently made the decision to leave. Storm signed with TNA slash Impact in June of 2002, and outside of a couple of appearances in NXT in 2015, he has been with the company ever since. He is the definition of an Impact original 
And, you know, certainly you wish this guy well. you got to think and, and you got to look back and maybe now that he's you know, a couple of years older, I understand he got more money, but he got more money for that little two-year run than he would have had at Impact. At T- I'm sorry, than he would have had at NXT. But I really feel like staying in NXT would have provided him more opportunity down the road. I don't know if that door is going to be open for him at this stage. He had his foot in the door and he sort of just decided to walk away. I'm not going to tell a guy what's best for his family, and maybe what he got in financially in compensation for those two years was worth it. But you look at a guy like Bobby Roode, and no, he hasn't necessarily been used to his fullest on the main roster so far. But if he can make it to the main roster, you got to think a guy with the charisma of a James Storm might have had that opportunity as well. And if he had stuck around and waited to see how that played out, he may have made himself a lot more money in the long run and would be in in a much more prominent spot right now than his because I feel unfortunately he's going to be one of those guys now that's going to just kind of bounce around the indies. I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see him get another shot in NXT and see what he could do. I just don't know if it's going to happen. We'll see, so stay tuned and find out what happens with that going forward. We're a little impact heavy here because we got another story from that company. There apparently was a plan or a pitch to have former Intercontinental Champion Santino Morella film a pre-taped segment with Grado at the recent pay-per-view Bound for Glory. Uh, Santino apparently turned the offer down and simply did a front row cameo instead. You know, a lot of people have questioned Santino. I gotta say, I think he made the right choice on this one. I don't think there's being in a backstage segment on Impact does anything for him. He's not going to join that company. There's no storyline there. All it would be is that company trying to get a couple headlines based off using a former WWE guy's name. They still tried to do it with the, the front row cameo, but... Um, for Santino's part, I think he probably handled that in the best way he could have. Now, speaking of, we've talked a lot lately about releases. How about a return? And a pretty big return at that, potentially. Because you got to ask yourself, could, Kurt, could, sorry, could Hulk Hogan be returning to the WWE? According to Dave Melser in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, the idea of Hogan returning to the WWE was recently revisited by organization's officials. As has been the case in the past, his return will hinge on whether sponsors would be okay with it and perceiving if there would be a media backlash where the racist quotes came out. Hogan was in talks about a return to wrestling of late, but not with the WWE. Meltzer says the angle would have been huge, but in the end, it wouldn't have made economic sense. There's also a feeling that it would wind up as a tease and he would not go through with the angle. It would just be his angling to get WWE to bring him back. Hogan has done this in the past and it would and would use outside promotions as leverage for Vince McMahon to bring him back into the WWE. Um, I can only imagine there's only really two possibilities to me in terms of that would be either Impact, where he's already been and sort of left with a bad taste in his mouth, not to mention I'm pretty much sure that Impact doesn't have the pocketbook to bring in Hulk Hogan at this point as we see all the departures. Um, the other obvious choice would be Ring of Honor as they have a national audience. They have sort of a little bit of buzz. I Obviously, Hogan doesn't fit in there from a working perspective, but as a name, you can bring in and make a little pub. Even if he's using Ring of Honor to get that, that job back with Vince McMahon, to me, if you're Ring of Honor, it almost might be worth it just for the buzz you're going to get for a brief period of time and put more eyes on your product. But again, as it says economically it didn't make sense for them um obviously with the i want to i feel i'm blanking on the company that owns uh impact uh not sinclair the tribune company i believe uh bought them 
Uh, but in any event, they have a ton of money. They could. Sort of my problem with Ring of Honor is I feel like they have the money that they, if they really wanted to pump it into the product, they really could make this the legitimate number two and sort of start competing, especially with their ties with New Japan. They could really carve out a huge spot in the marketplace. Uh, I you know, guess I understand for the investors, wrestling is a risky business there. You're coming in automatically at best at number two. You're never going to come in at number one. And we saw what happens with WCW. They burned really bright, but they faded out. And once they faded out, there was nowhere for them to go. Uh, and that might be the fear of Ring of Honor. They've got a nice little niche doing what they're doing. Uh, Hogan would definitely take them to the next level in terms of perception. But, alas, it was not to be. And I think we got to sit back and wait because I think the only time next time we see Hulk Hogan in a major national wrestling promotion, it's going to be the WWE. Speaking of WWE, after being released by them last month, Emma plans on resuming her wrestling career on the independent scene under her real name, Tennille Dashwood. On Sunday, she announced on Twitter that she is accepting bookings from all over the world starting on February 1st of 2018. I would imagine that's when her 90-day no-compete ends. According to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dashwood was in talks with Japanese women's wrestling promotion World Wonder Ring Stardom, mostly known just as stardom. Uh, Negotiations apparently fell through due to her demands, and get this, of $2,000 per match, plus first-class tickets and full creative control. Stardom officials felt that granting her those demands weren't economically or business prudent, and I can't say I blame them. Look, I'm on the show. I've talked about being a fan of Emma. I think she sort of got a raw deal on, on WWE, no pun intended. But here's my issue with this. If you're an independent promoter, and I see this a lot of times with names, and the problem is you sort of price yourself out of the market. If you're an independent promoter, you got to stop and think to yourself, how much does putting Emma on my poster bring into the company in ticket sales? Let's assume a lot of indies, 10 to 50 bucks per ticket, 50 for the real high end sometimes. Let's say we're talking $25. Let's cut it you know, even. You got to sell a thousand tickets at $25 a pop to cover basically just her fee in terms of her booking money. Now, include first class accommodations, which in most cities, for Boston, for example, a first class, for, you know, first class accommodation in Boston, does that run you at least another thousand, maybe two? Now you're talking three, four thousand $4,000 for Emma with travel. I just don't see any scenario as a promoter where that does anything where that you ever get that money back and that's before you ever book another talent for your show you're already starting in the hole if you want to as a as a talent in the indies if you want to get your your price up you you almost got to start small show that you're bringing in that crowd and then start raising the price a lot of these guys come off WWE and think that because of their name and the fact that they work there you're they're just going to be able to make this kind of money I think you saw it with Ryback. I think you saw it with Jack Swagger. I think you now you're seeing it with Emma, where they sort of price themselves out of a lot of bookings, whereas you look at a team like the Young Bucks, and I have no idea what they make on their bookings, but they bring it in. Obviously, promoters find their value, whatever their cost is, is worth what they bring in, and they're able to work whatever schedule they want. They can pick and choose what shows they want to work at. They can travel the world, have a lighter schedule than the WWE stars do, and in a lot of cases, make more money. Emma needs to set her expectations a slight bit more realistic, and hopefully we will see her start to do that and take off on the indies because I'd love to see her get another shot at the national promotion. Like I said, I am a fan of Tennille Dashwood. 
SmackDown Live general manager Daniel Bryan said in an interview this week he is working on getting medically cleared for an in-ring return. Bryant hasn't wrestled since 2015 due to concussion issues, which included seizures brought on by concussions. Despite that, Bryan discussed the process of a potential comeback and where WWE may stand on the subject in an interview with Mike Ashmore of the Trentalonian. Hope I'm saying that right. Said, quote, I'm trying to get cleared as we speak. All my tests have come back fantastic, better than people who have never had any concussion-type stuff. But it's a weird thing. We're in a weird situation politically with the climate around concussions. Right now, it's very difficult. WWE would love to have me back, but is that the smart thing for me as a business to bring me back? If I was to come back and they let me back, would they get a lot of flack for it? They have a ton of stockholders that they're responsible for. It's more than just, is he healthy to do it? End quote. In recent months, however, Brian has been outspoken about his desire to return to wrestling as an in-ring performer. The recent return of Kurt Angle, who also has an extensive injury history, has possibly helped Brian's case for a comeback. In September, it was reported that Brian has been training his wife Brie Bella for her own comeback. Brian has also implied that he will be seeking opportunities outside of the WWE if they refuse to give him the chance to wrestle again. He said the situation is complicated because of the nature of the wrestling business, but he's staying positive. As part of the interview with Ashmore, Brian suggested that the overwhelming majority of doctors he has consulted with believe he should be cleared. He said, quote, there's more to this whole situation. All the concussion doctors think that I'm healthy enough to do it and that I should be able to do it. Well, I don't want to say all of them. I'm sure there's somebody out there who doesn't think that, but there's a lot more than goes into it than just that. There's the unfortunate situation with giant corporations and big business in the United States, end quote. Um, I said earlier I've been outspoken originally about thinking that Daniel Bryan shouldn't get back into the ring. Uh, I've since, since I've listened to him talk, I have since changed my position. It sounds like he is, he's at least being cleared medically. And he said in this interview as well, which I didn't mention any the story, uh, if he if he found a doctor that said I shouldn't you shouldn't be wrestling this this could be dangerous to your life he would immediately drop it um, he he stated that you know his daughter his new daughter is the most important thing in the world to him and he would never risk being able to be there for her I'm I'm on Team Daniel on this one and ultimately I've said it on this show I think when push comes to shove when the opportunity is there for him to go somewhere else WWE is going to find a way to get him back in the ring because if he's going to make money with an in-ring return they'll be damned if he's going to do it for somebody other than them. But we'll see how that plays out going forward. All right, Kevin Owens doesn't mind exchanging blows on Twitter. And if you don't believe us, you can just ask Randy Orton. In fact, this all started this past week when Orton thanked, I'm sorry, when a fan thanked Owens for taking a picture with him and his new bride. Orton, that's when Orton fired the first shot. Uh, A fan on Twitter said, wow, at Kevin Owens, I'm sorry, at Fight Owens Fight, just stopped by my wedding dessert party in Epcot. Made my day even better. Thank you. Kevin Owens said, it was great meeting you guys. Congrats and good luck. Kevin Owens a little bit out of character on Twitter. Usually he's pretty much uh, more of his on-screen character on Twitter. So that's kind of cool. Randy Orton at this point chimed in with, of course he stopped by. It was a dessert party. Of course, a reference to Kevin Owens' weight. That is when Owens decided to bring in one of Orton's habits. But again, it was Orton who fired back with a not-so-subtle dig, noting that, in fact, he was sent home from the European tour. Kevin Owens responded to Randy Orton by saying that, you vape. That was the end of it. Uh, Randy Orton said, I actually quit vaping on this European tour, but you wouldn't know because you ain't here. Owens then fired back with a barb of his own, saying, 
I got so excited for a second, I thought you said you had quit the company. Congrats on quitting vaping, though. That's great. Then Kevin Owens said, by the way, that's the best comeback you've blown in years. Then he had a little advice for all of us when Kevin Owens told us, there's a lesson here, kids. Don't tweet in haste. You might come up with something better than what you originally settled for just minutes earlier, but the effect, it just won't be the same. Good night. So Kevin Owens and Randy Orton, they seem to have a little bit of an issue with each other. And to be honest, that's actually a program and a match I wouldn't mind seeing. I think they could do some cool things together. And this may just be them sort of working the crowd, if you will, working the uh, the Twitterverse and setting up for something like that. We'll find out. There's a lot of time for these two. But I think this may just be something they're setting up going forward. We'll find out. Uh, former WWE Heavyweight Champion Jack Swagger, who we mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, announced this week during a podcast with Ariel Hawani that he is signed with Bellator MMA to fight in their heavyweight division next year. Swagger left WWE in March of this year and has been working the indies since then. He has teased a possible MMA run in several interviews since leaving the WWE. Bellator has not issued an official announcement, but they did tweet the following, quote, just announced in studio on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, Real Jack Swagger is now part of the heavyweight division, hashtag Bellator Nation. Look, if you're an MMA fan, and I'm not the you know the most astute MMA fan, I definitely follow the sport a little bit, and I know some of the main players, uh, and I certainly know enough to know that Bellator is really the WWE of MMA. They're sort of... <laughs> you can question the legitimacy of some of these fights. Uh, you can certainly question the validity of if any of these. Some of these fighters are in a position to be fighting, and all you have to do is go back and look at the Kimbo Slice Dada 5000 match or fight, and the end result of that. Um, look, I, I I hope the best for Jack Swagger. I really do. Seems like a good dude. Um, and if this makes him a couple more bucks, great. I just hope he's not putting his, his personal well-being in jeopardy. And as long as he's not doing that, I'm all for it. Go out and make your money. Uh, in his first match outside of the WWE since leaving WCW in 1999, Chris Jericho will face Kenny Omega for the IWGP U.S. Championship. Kenny Omega and that match will take place at Wrestle Kingdom 12 on June, I'm sorry, January 4th, 2018 at the Tokyo Dome. It is currently a one-shot deal as Jericho, who's currently a free agent, is expected to return to WWE next year. During an interview with Busted Open, Jericho said he believes his performing for other companies makes his return to the WWE even more monumental, saying, quote, I like doing stuff that's never really been done. I think I'm a very unique position with the WWE where I have a great relationship with the company. One guy whose normal rules might not apply, but I do it with, my, with respect and with relevance to what they're doing and realize that WWE is still my company. It's still my home, but I'm not handcuffed to WWE. If I want to go to New Japan and work a main event at the Tokyo Dome or put my own crews and work in tandem with Ring of Honor, that's okay because guess what? At the end of the day, when I go back to WWE, it makes me that much bigger of a star. Um, I'm not sure Jericho's ever had a crisis of confidence. Uh, he's, he's a talented guy, uh, and he knows and believes in his talent, and good for him. Um, I'm really pumped for this match between him and Omega. I'm curious to see what they do. We've seen a lot of what Jericho's done. I've talked on this show about how I've sort of been underwhelmed about his in-ring. His his promo work has been top-notch in that last run. Uh, the in-ring sort of left me oftentimes a little disappointed. Uh, maybe I just set my expectations a little bit too high for where Jericho is at this stage in his career. I don't know. That could be on me. Um, but 
I'm sort of hoping that we're going to find out that a lot of it is just the way the WWE sort of agents their matches and, and, and books their TVs. I think there is a chance that Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho could put together a match of the year candidate, and I'm hoping that's what they do. I am going to be tuned in. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And I think, and I think Chris Jericho makes a good point, that this match is a weird, weird sort of way is making him a bigger star in wrestling than WWE ever could. And in a weird way, sort of might bring more eyes to the WWE because there are a lot of fans who have tuned out from WWE and are really kind of diehards specifically who are really getting into New Japan who maybe get brought back by seeing some of what Jericho's doing and then maybe following back. I don't know, but it certainly can't hurt. And uh, hopefully these guys have the type of match I think they're going to have at Wrestle Kingdom. I certainly am looking forward to it. That is going to do it for the news desk. Now we're going to head over and give our predictions, or I guess I shouldn't say R because I am flying solo tonight. I am going to give my predictions for what's going to take place this weekend upcoming at Survivor Series and include NST TakeOver War Games. Uh, That is what we'll do right now. All right. So we lead off the NXT War Games card with an interesting contest as Cassius Ono takes on Lars Sullivan. Uh, This is probably just being built to uh, sort of give Lars a quality win over a name opponent. I don't see Ono winning this thing. I think Lars, well, I'll be curious to see how the work is in the ring. Uh, We know what Cassius Ono, a.k.a. Chris Hero, can do in a ring. I'm curious to see how that blends with Lars Sullivan, but if anyone can make Lars look good, it'll probably be Cassius Ono. I'm going with Lars Sullivan to win that match. We also have Aleister Black versus the Velveteen Dream, and this may be the match I'm most interested in seeing. Um, this build has been tremendous. I think the work these two have put into building this storyline, because if you told me two months ago I would be most anticipating Aleister Black versus the Velveteen Dream, I'd have called you crazy. These two have worked their asses off to make this match must-see on this event. I can't wait to see it. Ultimately, I'm curious to see what the payoff is, what the end of the match end match result is. I feel sort of the Velveteen Dream has to win or at least have a really impressive showing. Uh, if he takes a squash like to Aleister Black like others have, as he's just now starting to make a name for himself, I'm not sure what that does to him. Uh, we'll see going forward. I'm going to pick Aleister Black just because I'm going to go safe on this one. But I'm really, really expecting a quality performance from both guys in this one. Now, this has only been mentioned on WWE's social media, so I'm not sure if it's going to actually make the pay-per-view, but we'll see. Uh, Johnny Gargano and Shawn Michaels put together a backstage segment a couple weeks back where they agreed on the NXT TakeOver War Games they would have an ab off to determine who has the better set of abs. Um, This is a legit thing, so I'm going to predict, I guess, that Shawn Michaels is going to win, and it's not often you would pick a physical fitness contest, a 50-year-old guy to beat a younger guy, but... I know. I also know Shawn Michaels and his drive to just win everything he could possibly win. So I'm going to go Shawn Michaels here uh, and hope that this doesn't actually make the air because it wouldn't be a great look for either one of these guys, at least, in my opinion. Uh, NXT Women's Championship is vacant, and it will be assumed by the winner of a fatal four-way match between Kyrie Sane, Peyton Royce, Ember Moon, and Nikki Cross. Now, before I tell you who I think is going to win, allow me to simply say, I don't get the Kyrie Sane thing. I really don't. Um, she's talented as hell in the ring. Don't get me wrong. I don't think the pirate gimmick works for her, at least not in America. I think it comes off really campy, really hokey, 
and sort of makes her seem more like a uh, Duke the Drumster Drossy character, like a comedy act rather than a legit competitor. Asuka didn't have any of that. Asuka had an ass-kicking gimmick, and I think that worked great. But you can't even do that with Kyrie because she is so much smaller than Asuka was. I think there's something in the presentation of Kyrie Sane that needs to change if you want to have her sort of reach those levels that Asuka did. I don't think she reaches those levels here, though. My take for this match, and at least this is how I would do it, I have Peyton Royce go over here. First off, she's one of the best. Her and, and Billy Kay are well, probably the best thing going in the women's division on NXT right now, certainly the most entertaining. And I think there's a lot of money in Ember and Kari chasing Peyton Royce and maybe even teaming up against her and Billy Kay. There's a ton of stuff you can do with Peyton Royce as the champion. You can even freebird the belt with her and Billy Kay. I think that's what I would do. I think that's what they should do. And if I'm predicting it, that's what I think they're going to do. We'll find out. NXT Heavyweight Championship on the line as Drew McIntyre defends against Andrade Cien Almas with Zalina Vega. Um, first off, I don't think Cien is winning the title here. I'd be surprised. I don't know that Drew's in line for a long run. I just don't think he fits particularly well with what they do down in NXT. Uh, I think he's definitely more of a main roster type, and I think he'll be called up sooner rather than later. Um, but I, I don't think he's dropping the title here. I think he's probably being set up for a program with either Alistair Black or somewhere down the road, uh, Adam Cole. But we'll find out. Uh, I will say this. Um, I am infinitely more interested in the Andrade Cien Almas character since they added Zelina Vega. She has done wonders for his character. She has made him compelling and interesting, uh, similar to what Maurice did when she returned as the manager for The Miz. Uh, this just goes to show you with a good mouthpiece and the right manager, it really can make all the difference in the world for a talent, as I do think I could see CN with a run somewhere down the road. I just don't see it happening this weekend. I'm going with Drew McIntyre to retain the title. Now, lastly, we have NXT War Games with Sanity versus the Undisputed Era versus Roderick Strong and the Authors of Pain. Now, I say that this is War Games, they say that this is war games. However, allow me to run a couple things by you that I discovered this week because the official rules for the NXT war games have been released. Now, first off, the rumor, and this isn't in the, this isn't in the official rules, but the rumor going around is that the two cages will not have a roof, which to me was a big part of war games. And I think it's just a giant steel cage. It's not really special if it doesn't have the roof. So I hope that rumor is incorrect, but we'll have to wait till Saturday night to find out. The official rules, however, say one member from each team starts the match. Five minutes later, the remaining members of each team, I'm sorry, the remaining members of each team will be locked in shark cages at ringside. Because of course they have all these shark cages they bought for other stuff that now they have to find a use for. After five minutes, the rem all the remaining members of one team will be released. So, to clarify, Eric Young starts for Sanity. After five minutes, if they win the luck draw, the luck of the draw, Killian Dane and Alexander Wolf both enter the ring together, same time. So all three members of Sanity are in there against one member of each of the other teams. Three minutes later, all the remaining members of one of the other teams enter, and the three minutes later, the last team's remaining members enter. At which point. Their definition of the match beyond begins, and it can only be won 
by submission or pinfall. That's right, submission or surrender is out the window. It is only submission or pinfall. And let's be honest, submission and surrender was always the same thing anyway. But war games shouldn't end in a pinfall. That's never how it was booked. I just, this is a cool match concept, but it's not war games. Let's stop pretending it is. In any event, my pick to win this match is the Undisputed Era. I think these guys are in line for a huge push in the company, and I think winning this match is the start of that. Now, we move on to the Survivor Series card. It is five hours of Survivor Series, and I expect they're going to add at least one or two more matches to the kickoff show. So, I am recording this on Thursday. If they add more matches after this, I can't tell you. Uh, but, the card as of now... On the kickoff show, Cruiserweight Championship, Enzo Amore versus Kalisto. There's zero reason Kalisto should win this match, so I'm going with Enzo Amore. You have The Shield taking on The New Day. This is one of the matches I'm most interested in seeing um, because I really do think it's a cool concept to have the two most dominant factions of recent times hooking up with each other. Uh, I think The Shield has to win here. I think The New Day can much easier, more easily recover from a loss than The Shield could. You never know what kind of shenanigans could get involved in this one, but if I have to pick now, I am picking The Shield to win at Survivor Series. The women's champions go one-on-one as Alexa Bliss takes on Charlotte Flair, and this is the match that we should have had all along. This is legitimately the two biggest female stars in the company going head-to-head. Alexa Bliss and Charlotte. I'm looking forward to the visual because Charlotte is going to tower over Alexa In terms of predictions, here's where it gets interesting because the way I see this playing out, Charlotte Flair wins this match, and as she is celebrating, Carmella's music hits. Carmella comes out, cashes in her Money in the Bank opportunity, and ends up defeating Charlotte Flair, and Carmella becomes your new women's champion on SmackDown. That's my take. That's what I would do if I were them, that you leave SmackDown with a title change in place. Uh... The Battle of the Midcard Champions is The Miz. The Intercontinental Champion takes on Baron Corbin, the United States Champion. This, you know, The Miz has done his best to make this match compelling and interesting. Uh, Baron Corbin has just kind of sucked all the life out of this like he has most things that he's touched since his call-up. Um, that said, I think The Miz can much more easily handle a loss than Corbin could at this point. I'm going to have to go with Baron Corbin to win this one out of necessity for his character. A loss here could be really damaging to his long-term viability. Uh, The tag team champions square off as the Raw champions, The Bar, take on the SmackDown champions, The Usos. I'm going to go with The Usos here just because I'm a big fan. I think they're really raising the game of SmackDown on SmackDown of tag team wrestling. Um, The Bar's done a great job in in their own part on Raw. Uh, I just, if I had to pick, this is a toss-up. I'm going to go Usos, but I could very easily be wrong on that one. The Battle of World Champions, which once again changed a couple weeks ago, features Brock Lesnar, the Universal Champion, taking on AJ Styles, the WWE Champion. I would love to sit here and tell you that I think AJ scores the upset. I would love to sit here and tell you this is a long, compelling match. I just, the way Brock Lesnar has been booked by the WWE, I expect this to be a pseudo-squash. AJ will get some stuff in. But I don't expect Brock to ever really appear to be in trouble in this match. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going with Lesnar on this one. Uh, I, I'm just I'm not sure that they see Styles as a legitimate. I think they see any offense or any real damage or danger that AJ puts Lesnar in is a sign of weakness, and we know how they want to keep Lesnar strong. I think they're going to make a point to do that at Survivor Series. 
The women's Survivor Series elimination match features Alicia Fox, <sighs> Nia Jax, Asuka, Sasha Banks, and Bayley versus Becky Lynch, Naomi, Carmella, Tamina Snuka, and, a, and an unnamed person as Charlotte Flair, of course, has now left the team to defend the women's championship. Uh, first off, I guess I, I'll make my prediction as to who I think is going to take the spot. Um, two real main rumors. I mean, obviously, Natalia is a possibility. I don't see that happening. I think they want a surprise here. There are two main possibilities that I hear floated around, one of them being Nikki Bella, the other being Paige. I'm personally rooting for it to be Paige. Uh, I think she can do more in the ring than Nikki can at this point, and I think there's a long-term reason behind having Paige there. There's a story you can tell. You can go somewhere from there. Uh, if it's Nikki, it's going to be a one-off, and I just don't. I'm all set with one-offs that don't go anywhere these days. Uh, I have way too much of that in my life when I watch the WWE. The men's Survivor Series elimination match, the main event, the thing that everybody has been talking about, the very end, the very reason for the under siege attacks that have plagued the WWE in recent month, in the recent month, I should say. Kurt Angle, captain of Team Raw, is joined by Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, and of course the game Triple H. And they are going to take on Shane McMahon, the Viper, Randy Orton, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Roode, and John Cena, who last time he wrestled, wrestled for Raw, because that makes sense. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't give a prediction for the women's match. I'll go back to that in a second. Um, for As far as a prediction on this thing, I'm going to say Team SmackDown wins. And I'm not sure how, but I would have... I have a feeling it's probably going to end up with Cena uh, somehow surviving. Maybe with Shane. I don't know how it's exactly going to play out. But I think SmackDown wins. I think you could see a heel turn. I think you could see a Jason Jordan come out uh, and cost Raw the match. Although now that I think of it, you know what? I'm going to change my prediction live on the podcast. I'm going to say Raw wins. And I'm going to say Raw wins because Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens come out and cost Team SmackDown the win talked myself out of it as I started to talk about interference. It, it dawned on me that uh, Sammy and Kevin aren't even on the card, and I think their presence is going to get felt, and the best way to feel their presence would be for them to cost SmackDown the match. That will further their storyline with Shane McMahon. That's exactly how I think this plays out. Team Raw wins. Sammy and Kevin cost Team SmackDown the match. As for the women's match, and, and this is the other reason I sort of changed my pick here because I think they really typically will tell us that SmackDown is and always will be the B show. I think the women, the raw women win this match. At least they should. And they should because Asuka should be left standing at the end, either by herself or having dominated a couple, having dominated the SmackDown team uh, with other people standing around and watching. That is what this character needs. Uh, we've, I've talked on this show how I think they've bungled, bungled her uh, debut I think they've absolutely missed an opportunity with her, and they've got to start fixing that quickly before fans lose interest. I think having her be a dominant, dominant force in this match is exactly what the doctor ordered. Wins for Asuka over Becky Lynch, Naomi, Car uh, Carmella, but, uh, and Tamina Snuka. Eh. But wins, okay, so wins over Becky Lynch and Naomi could be good things to hang your hat on with Asuka. That's what I would do. Asuka wins for Team Raw. 
So that's going to do it for the Survivor Series and NXT picks. I'd love to hear your picks, so tweet us at Rundown Wrestling and let us know what you think is going to happen at Survivor Series and the NXT TakeOver pay-per-view. Now, we have a couple of uh, announcements regarding the shows that are coming to our own next of the woods. Uh, the road to rise to honor has begun as Brew City Wrestling presents Thanksgiving Throwdown on Friday, November 17th at the Columbus Club West Alice, 180 South 92nd Street. Bell time is 7.30 p.m. Doors open at 6.45. Tickets are $20 front row, $18 general admission at the door, and $16 using PayPal on BrewCityWrestling1.com. That's the number one, not O-N-E. Uh, there will be a huge announcement regarding the future of Brew City Wrestling and ballots for the 2018 Hall of Honor will be available. Then join the stars of Brew City Wrestling at the Slurp and Burp Fun Bar at 1454 South 92nd Street for the after party. Already signed for this event, Evil Sierra versus Blue Phoenix, Vanessa Azur, High Octane, Onyx Andretti, Max Holiday, and Russ Jones. The Brew City Saints take on Tokyo Monster Kahagas and Hardcore Impact, the Heathens. An intergender tag team match features the Mouth of the Midwest, JP, and the Midwest Slayer, Stacey Shadows, taking on the Golden Goddess, Lena Deoro, and a partner of her choice. His Holiness, Sean Priest, takes on Mr. Swagnificent, Jared Jacks. More Fandemonium matches announced soon. Check out BrewCityWrestling1.com or follow them on Twitter at BCW1. Also on Facebook, search for Brew City Wrestling. I will be returning with Atlantic Pro Wrestling this coming Saturday, November 18th at the Boys and Girls Club of Lower Merrimack Valley. This is a toy drive. For every unwrapped toy that is donated, you will receive $5 off of a general admission ticket. The APW Heavyweight Championship will be on the line as Champagne Joe Moakley defends the title against his longtime rival, the Hampton Beach bad boy, Hunter Ward. Also, we are going to have the much-anticipated one-on-one showdown between the juggernaut John Poe and Apocalypse. Also signed with the APW Women's Championship on the line as Adira defends against Skyler, who made a very impressive debut last month. We are also going to see Dynamite Danny Miles as he takes on Jeremy Leary. The remaining two members of the original Three Kings explode when the unequaled one, Todd Sopel, takes on the kingpin, Brian Malonis. In a teacher versus student match, Robo the Punjabi Lion takes on fabulous Johnny Vegas. Belmont goes one-on-one with Vanity Vixen. The king of APW, Vern Vicalo, takes on Nico Silva. And just announced, the APW First Family will be represented by Dan Terry and Tim Lennox as they challenge for the APW Tag Team Championships against the Main State Posse. All that and so much more this Saturday night, November 18th at the Lower Boys and, the Boys and Girls Club of Lower Merrimack Valley, Atlantic Pro Wrestling, back in action. Tickets $12 at the door, advanced tickets $10, reserved front row are 15 Reserve Front Row also receives early admission as the doors open for them early. Tickets are available at the door and at AtlanticProWrestling.com slash products. The actual door, to- door time is 6 p.m. 6.30 p.m. will be your bell time. ICW returns on November 19th at La Pica Bar, 3431 West Lincoln Ave on the south side of Milwaukee. Doors are at 3.30 p.m. Bell time at 4. All tickets are $15. This is Milwaukee's only R-rated pro wrestling. For the ICW World Heavyweight Championship, the Jet Joey Avalon takes on the Greek franchise GQ Giannis in a traditional Survivor Series match. 
the team real last real gentlemen, the fabled one, Aesop Mitchell, and no man members, Marman and Jaxman, with a mystery partner, take on Team Fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. Team Fuck those guys. Dysfunction, Evil Sierra, Derek St. Holmes, and a mystery partner as well. So both teams with mystery partners. Uh, Tag Team Street Fight, His Holiness, Sean Priest, takes, and Pitstain take on High Class Mo Foley and Vinny Riot. Shooter, Scott Marciano, takes on The Kid, Vinny Scarponi. The never-ending Scott Story takes on Odin Veit. Pitbull, Zach McGuire, takes on drug-free Jack Blackwell. Kato's career on the line feature as J- Kato's career is on the line as Kato takes on just Jacob Hoffman. All that and so much more at ICW on November 19th. As for me, you can check me out at UFO Wrestling as we return with our annual Thanksgiving Eve event featuring the Turkey Rumble. It is Harvest Havoc 2017 on Wednesday night, November 22nd at 7 p.m. This event is a fundraiser for the Titan Community Center, which is hosting the event. Matches announced are the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, defending the UFO Heavyweight Championship against the Dynasty, Bo Douglas. No countout, no DQ match. Evan Six takes on Aaron Amadeus and Tim Lennox in a triple threat. Ilya Markopoulos and Christian Casanova team up to take on Channing Thomas and Carlos Gabriel. Furio Falcone goes one-on-one with Osiris. The cool people make their first defense of the UFO Tag Team Championships against Team Picture Perfect Dan Terry and the selfie-made man, Vern Vicalo. Davian takes on Belmont. Benny Jux has issued an open challenge for any three competitors to a fatal four-way match. Adira makes her UFO wrestling debut against Luscious Latasha. Also, the annual Turkey Rumble with the following competitors announced. Channing Thomas, Connor Tice, the Castle Island Assassin, Sully Banger, King Leon VI, Ike, the S- and the SOG Ronnie Ribs. More matches will be announced soon. Front row seats are $15 in advance and $20 at the door. General admission is $10 in advance and $15 at the door. Reserve your tickets safely and securely through the Friends and Family feature on PayPal at paypal.me slash Patrick Dillon. Title it Havoc. Search for UFO Wrestling on Facebook for more info. And if that's not enough UFO Wrestling, you can join us Friday night, November 24th for, at 7 p.m. at the Bell Time Club 40 Broadway Street, Wakefield, Massachusetts, as we present Black Friday. Tickets are $10 general admission. If you purchase a general admission ticket to Harvest Havoc, you can purchase a Black Friday ticket for just $5. So far, the only announcement we have is that the selfie-made man, Vern Ficallo, will get his long-awaited title shot as he will take on the winner of the main event at Harvest Havoc between the kingpin Brian Malonis and the dynasty Bo Douglas. DOA Wrestling presents Holiday Aftermath, November 25th, 2017. Doors are at 5.30. The bell time is at 6. This is taking place at the Waddles Boys and Girls Club in Portland, Oregon. This features the return to DOA of Evolve star Darby Allen as he takes on Sergeant Mike Everest. DOA Pure Champion Julian White and CJ Edwards will face off against Mike Santiago and Shaft. DOA Grand Champion Ethan HD will defend his title against Johnny Paradise. The DOA Tag Team Champions, the Voros Twins, defend the belts against four minutes of heat. The human experiment Udo takes on Dr. Cleaver. Ravenous Randy Myers faces off against the Devil Drex. Wade Hess takes on Eric Wright in a no-rules street fight. HBQ Quiz faces Sonico. Go to DOAProWrestling.com for tickets and more info. 
Also, Saturday, December 9th, Midwest Entertainment is live from Mount Hope, Kansas. No matches have been announced, but the show will feature the Honky Tonk Kid, the Samoan Predator, Mr. Fitness 2, Midnight Rose, Christian Temple, the Mangler, and many more. Tickets available are, are available right now at MWEProWrestling.com. Kids 3 and under are free. Lucky Pro Wrestling is off until 2018, but if you but you can't get a chance to see them. If you didn't get a chance to see them wrestle this year, or just miss them in general, you can take some pictures with them as Lucky Pro Wrestling and West Real Estate prevent a special Toys for Tots drive on Sunday, December 10th, 2017 at the West Real Estate Office, 386 Main Street, Wilmington, Massachusetts, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Already announced for the event, the LPW Heavyweight Champion, the selfie-made man, Vern Vicalo. For Impact Wrestling Knockout, Alicia Edwards, LPW Hard Knocks Champion, Brickmass Stone, the LPW Women's Champion, Adira, as well as Anthony Stone, Isana, Christopher, James, and more. With the donation of a new unwrapped toy or $5, fans can get a photo with and an autograph from the appearing stars. All donations will be collected by the Toys for Tots of Massachusetts for the less fortunate this holiday season. We are taking mail orders. Please have a check or money order made out to Toys for Tots, amount based on the number of autographs you desire at $5 per autograph. Please include a self-addressed stamped envelope. Liberty States Wrestling returns to Peabody on Saturday, December 16th with Holiday Havoc and the return of the Opportunity Knox ladder match featuring D.L. Hurst, Brett Domino, the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo, and the clinic Christopher James as they fight for a contract that guarantees them a shot at any Liberty States title whenever they want with no expiration date. Also on that show, Big Bacon Brad Hollister makes his Liberty States debut as he tries to take the heavyweight championship from Christian Casanova, plus the return of the No Limits Championship Open Challenge and the unequaled one Todd Sopel. Also scheduled to appear, Nico Silva, the Punjabi Lion Robo, Hammer Tunis, Sutherin, Vanity Vixen, and much more. That is going to do it for the rundown this week. I would like to encourage you to go follow us on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. Go to Facebook.com slash Rundown Wrestling. You can email the show at rundownwrestling at gmail.com. For future reference, leave us a voicemail. We will listen to it on the show. 617-863-6967. That is 61 Rundown 7. We are now on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling to become a patron. Currently, we have one reward level. That is the Rundowner. And for $5 a month, it grants you access to any and all Patreon-only episodes. So far, there is one, but we will be recording more going forward. Check out the Slasher Sanitarium if you are a fan of horror. And check out our friends, the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, and Mike Crockett on the wrestling podcast about nothing with new podcasts dropping every Monday and Thursday. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the WPAN. Also want to encourage you to check out our new friend, Justin Michaels, on his show, Yesterland Waltz on Tough TV. Subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast to hear all of our shows, including NXT Revisited, the Rundown Sitdowns, which I just recorded the return episode with all good Anthony Green. That'll be coming out in about a week or so. Uh, WrestleMania Salvation, Glow Shtick, the Nitromania Podcast, and so much more. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to no co-host, because I'm by myself. Thanks to Ray Williams for the logo. Thank you to myself for our awesome theme song. Next week, we will bring you Survivor Series and NXT Fallout and so much more. That's going to do it. We will see you next Thursday.
The Rundown Wrestling Podcast was created and subsequently abandoned by Adam Salzer and is produced and edited by Jason Stewart. This episode was hosted solo by Jason Stewart. We are a proud member of the Questionable Endeavor Network. Check out all their shows, including the other wrestling shows, the Raw Attitude Podcast and the New Blood Rising Podcast. Horror Podcasts, the Slasher Sanitarium, and the Shadowvane Podcast, as well as the rest of our shows, Taco Tuesday, Words of Geekdom, Pone Stars, a Reanimator Podcast, Nerd CTLR, all that and more at questanetwork.com. And tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast.